Mate Dog. Eliote. How are you, man? I'm good. Uh, I can't believe we're finally doing this. I know. It's been many, many years in the making. Uh, so thanks for finally uh, having us do this. Why don't we explain what this is uh, to the 10 people, uh, including our parents and all your brothers uh, who are listening. Uh, this is a show about baseball literature. Like your high school English teacher, we are fixated on symbolism. Each episode, we're going to talk to the author of a different baseball novel or memoir and ask them about how they took one aspect of the sport we love, a play, a team, a tradition, a brand of bubblegum, and found meaning in it beyond what happens on the field. I'm Nathaniel Eisen. Uh, I'm a, AKA Nate Dog. I'm a lawyer who um, kind of sort of maybe wants to be a journalist uh, living in Burlington, Vermont. And I am Elliot Kriegel, living in San Francisco, still figuring out what I want to do with my career. I currently work in health tech. And we've known each other um, more than half our lives now. Um, we really got to be friends uh, in high school, right? High school and also like Hebrew high even. Um, oh man, yeah. In, in high school, um, but we ran cross country together and you were always faster. You're 203, was it in the, oh, two or two? In the 201.89, thank okay. you very much. Yeah. Uh, but you were, fast, you were faster over longer distances. Uh, well, I just mean I just kept running uh, <laughs> probably down, but yes. So um, tell me, uh, just re refresh my memory about, about your time in Little League, your, your glory days. I think the highlight was when I got hit in the face by a fastball and I didn't have to play anymore for a while. I was, I was petrified. Uh, I played till age 12 and uh, I used to wear glasses. Uh, I, I got LASIK later in life, but um, I did not square around fast enough on a bunt and uh, the ball hit me in the face. And thankfully, because I was wearing glasses, it completely broke my glasses and did not shatter my face. And got to go to first base and I didn't go to first base that, off, that, that often. So do you remember any bunts as a fan in particular? Gosh, bunts as a fan. Um, no, nothing in particular, but I do, my, one of my favorite things to watch on YouTube is the Little League home run where someone will bunt and then they overthrow the first baseman and you can run the second, they overthrow the second baseman and see what's the scamper all the way to home. So I have watched many YouTube videos on that. I can't tell you who or what, but I definitely, that and the inside the park home run are probably my two favorite um, plays in baseball. How about you? What, uh, when you think about bunting, what images or feelings does it bring up for you? And name the last time you saw a bunt happen during the regular season. Uh, uh, so I can't name the last time during the regular season, but uh, there are two bunts that stand out to me as a San Francisco Giants fan, uh, both by Gregor Blanco, who is one of my all-time favorite Giants uh, because he was, you know, an underappreciated 
uh, perennial fourth outfielder who sort of blossomed into a starter in his 20s and 30s um, and just had a very pretty left-handed swing when he was uh, when he was hitting well. Uh, but so two bunts from Blanco in the 2012 playoffs, uh, one late in game three of the NLCS against the Cardinals. Uh, and then even more important, one late in game two against the Tigers in the World Series with the score still tied 0-0. Uh, this beautiful bunt down the third baseline where it was like, you know, all the third baseman, the pitcher and the catcher were all gathered around it, like waving, basically blowing on it to get it to go foul. Uh, but it stayed fair, uh, loaded the bases. And then they, in true Giants fashion, scratched across a run on a sacrifice fly and proceeded to win that game and, and sweep the World Series. To talk some more about bunting, we've asked Chad Harbach on the program. Chad is the author of the 2011 novel, The Art of Fielding, as well as a co-founder and editor at N Plus One magazine. His novel, set in the leafy confines of Westish College in the upper Midwest, is an exploration of young men in sports, of friendship, and above all, of identity, and what we do when the things that have defined us start to shift. And we are just so grateful to Chad for being on the show. Chad, welcome. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Your book, The Art of Fielding, has meant so much to me. I've read it probably four or five times since it came out. Um, I know parts of it, like Henry knows Aparicio. I think I return to it again and again, not only because of the warmth and humor with which you portray team sports and academia, two worlds with which I'm familiar, but also because Henry's struggles um, and Mike's and Pella's in their own way capture being in your 20s, trying to figure out how talented you are and just how few shits the world gives, especially when you stumble uh, over your self-doubt uh, in a really beautiful way. Uh, and also, as someone who didn't start exploring an attraction to men until my late 20s, Gert, or, or is it Gwert? Uh, I, uh, Gwert, I think, is, the, uh, is, is my way of saying it, but I hear a lot of both. <laughs> I, I think you uh, get to say it. So Gwert's uh, early, inept, in-his-head forays with Owen uh, were in many ways a roadmap for me, um, as well as a source of comfort. Well, I mean, first of all, I'm honored to be your first guest. Uh, thanks. Thanks so much for having me. Um, and second of all, that's just like the nicest list of things I could ever possibly hope to hear. Um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think as a writer, you know, having people reread your work is just absolutely the ultimate compliment. Um, you know, I think in any, I think about, you know, the books that I reread and the books that, you know, yield for me, uh, you know, even more pleasure or different pleasures or some sort of different sorts of insights, like when I go back to them and, um, and that's, um, 
that's just sort of the best you could hope for. So yes, thanks for, thanks for having me. <laughs> thanks, Chad. And for me, I could relate to the thrill of winning, to the, the chance that maybe we wouldn't win because I would make a mistake. Um, that's partly why I got out of baseball was because I became so fixated on what if I boot this grounder? I could sense that um, worry of being the one that's going to cause everyone going to let the team down. Yeah. I mean, I think baseball's the ultimate game for that kind of anxiety and fretting and worry that you're going to let down your teammates. You know, I, I played a lot of different team sports when I was younger, you know, basketball and, and baseball chief among them. And, you know, when you're playing basketball, you can always just kind of, hustle more, <laughs> run faster, get lower in your stance, um, just you know, sort of give more effort. But baseball is a game where, you know, and of course that's like what a lot of, what Henry's plight is, um, the harder you try, maybe the worse it's gonna go and the worse you want it, the more you tense up a little bit um, and you've kind of got to find that sweet spot of like, giving maximum effort while convincing yourself that you're just totally <laughs> relaxed. Um, you know, I had, I, um, yeah, I mean, I, I played baseball for, for a lot of years and, you know, was an infielder um, and loved playing shortstop and loved playing second base. And, um, but even while loving it and uh, just, you know, constantly like, racked with anxiety like and for me it was but more about the throw like than about booting the grounder it was more like <laughs> um am i gonna am, am i gonna let my teammates down and not be able to make this throw um in the way that you know the way that baseball kind of puts you um like every play in, in baseball it's like such a team game but every play is an individual play um and if the ball's coming to you the ball's coming to you and there are just like no distractions all eyes are on you and there is no doubt who has screwed up if someone screws up <laughs> and they track it as you said and they track it yeah they put it, the error, errors on the scoreboard <laughs> yeah so um you played through high school um i believe which uh gives you six years playing time on either of us i also stopped when i was 12. um Tell us a little bit about your playing style. Yeah, I mean, I was, um, I mean, I, I was, I mean, similar to Henry in some ways. I mean, certainly Henry was like a, a vastly uh, better athlete than I was, but I was kind of, I was similar in some respects because I was, I was like very small, like all throughout, like growing up in my adolescence, um, partly because I was always the youngest kid in my class. Um, and uh, partly because, yeah, I just was sort of like a late, uh, uh, like a late bloomer physically. Um, so I was like, in some ways I was very similar to Henry cause I was like very, very coordinated, very quick. Um, you know, like had like a lot of skills, but like when I was playing high school sports, like a lot of the guys I was playing against like had like 40 or 60 or God knows how many pounds on me. Um, so I, uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I played shortstop and I played, I mostly played shortstop and I played a little bit of second base and a little bit of third base and, uh, you know, was a great fielder of the ball and had a mediocre arm and was a, had a really nice swing, but could only hit the ball so far when you're putting like 130 pounds of force, like behind the ball. <laughs> Along those lines, thinking about, um, your experience as part of a baseball team, what aspects of that made you want to start writing about that? You know, when I, when I, it's a long time ago now that I had, you know, first like conceived of the art of feeling because it, um, uh, I was, when I had the idea to write that book and really started, th- I was probably 24. Um, you know, and I, I wasn't that far removed from, you know, being really involved in, in team sports, um, you know, and I mean, I missed it. I think I certainly like, I, I missed it. Like it had been, you know, all throughout my youth had been such a central part of my life, you know, and then, I mean, this happens to different people who at different ages, but like, if you love sports and you're really immersed in it at a certain point, it just kind of the music stops, um, and you have to figure out what to what to do with yourself. So, you know, I think I, I think I, I kind of longed for that time, and also I, I kind of longed for the camaraderie and the kind of and the structure of it as well. Um, you know, I I really started writing fiction when I, I was 21, when I graduated from college and I said, I want to try doing this. And so like a lot of my non-working hours are going to be devoted to trying to do this, but I never, I, I hadn't um, never, I hadn't done it much before. I hadn't like taken creative writing courses or anything. I was, um, I just wanted to try. Um, and, you know, and so I did and it's, um, it's a lonely vocation, you know, and it's a, it's a vocation, you know, that the world doesn't necessarily, you know, people don't line up to like help you. People, nobody like, um, nobody, Nobody tells you, okay, Chad, it's like four o'clock. You just got home from work. And now, you know, you're going to sit down and you're going to write for three hours and, um, and then you're going to have this for dinner and then you're not going to get drunk tonight. And then you're going to get up tomorrow and you're going to do it again. Um, you know, so I kind of, um, I was for one thing, kind of longing for the, like, I'm like, I want to be a serious writer. Like, and I want to sort of treat it like, like being a serious athlete, um, you don't get like the world kind of understands serious athletes a lot better than they understand serious writers or, or would be serious writers. Um, but I think I was, um, I was just thinking about yeah, these, like, I mean, camaraderie and structure are the two words that come to mind and how to try to like import those things um, into my writing life. Um, that, that, that's the answer personally, you know, and then, you know, I think I was really, interested in the ways that baseball is such a team game, but also an individual pursuit. Um, and that um, uh, is, 
I mean, it's not a metaphor. That's that's what baseball is like, but that's also what life is is like a lot, you know, especially in like in a quote unquote individualistic society. Like there's always, um, there's tension between individual achievement and what the larger group needs. Um, or sometimes those things are working together. Or sometimes they're really working against each other. Um, you know, and it's... Um, so I I was interested in thinking about that like through the lens of a baseball team, um, and you know, and of course like the, the and then the baseball team in the book like I spent a lot of time comparing it to like the the Pequod and the whale ship in Moby Dick, and you know, there's another situation where like every guy on board that ship like has his own goals on the mission. Most of them, I mean, most of them have like the same goal. They want to go out and catch some whales and make some money and like go home and see their families. Um, that's not what Ahab wants to do. Um, not exactly what Ishmael wants to do. Um, and so everybody's, um, you know, kind of working together, working at cross purposes. Um, and yeah, so that, 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 that tension, I think, um, was core to my way of thinking about baseball in, in the book. Mm. And everyone's also got uh, their different lay on the Pequod and on the on the team. Uh, yeah, exactly. The lay being your percentage of the of the take, um, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. So everyone, like you know, as in as in most endeavors, like everyone has a different incentive or a bigger piece of the pie or like a. a greater reason to choose option a over option b or vice versa mm -hmm. that's a good segue uh we uh told you that this show is uh dedicated to to baseball literature because of how it uh mines the metaphorical seams that exist throughout the game um, and so we asked you to read two passages about bunting uh and so if you're ready uh we'd love to hear them Sure. Do you want me to do do both? Uh, yeah, let's do both. Right. Um, so the first one happens really early in the book. Um, it's Henry's freshman year at Westish. Um, uh, they have he's made the team, and they have gone down to Florida for their annual spring break trip. Um, and he and the other he and Owen and Rick the the freshman bench warmers are uh, sitting together on the bench and then the coach um, the coach motions for Owen to go pinch hit. Runners on first and second, Rick said. I bet he wants you to bunt. What's the bunt sign? Two tugs on the left earlobe, Henry told him. But first he has to give the indicator, which is squeeze the belt. But if he goes to his cap with either hand or says your first name, that's the wipe off. And then you have to wait and see whether, forget it, Owen said, I'll just bunt. He grabbed a bat, ambled to home plate, nodded politely at Coach Cox's gesticulations, and pushed a perfect bunt past the pitcher. The shortstop's throw nipped him by a quarter step, and Owen trotted back to the dugout to receive congratulations from his teammates. This was Henry's favorite baseball custom. When a player hit a home run, his teammates were at liberty to ignore him. But when he sacrificed himself to move a runner, he received a long line of high fives. And the second passage um, comes 
very close to the end of the book, um, Henry uh, has is um, Henry is coming out of a very bad time in his life, um, and he is remembering uh, a conversation that he had with the therapist or psychiatrist when he was in the when he was in the hospital. What comes to mind when I say the word sacrifice, Dr. Rachels asked. Bunting. Decorative bunting? Easter bunting? Bunting, Henry said, holding an imaginary bat horizontally across his chest. Dr. Rachels didn't have a couch, as you might have imagined. He sat in a stiff wooden chair, laying down a bunt. This is a baseball term, Dr. Rachels asked. Use it in a sentence. Instead of bunting, I swung away. I found it interesting, said Dr. Rachels, that you chose to say laying down a bunt, the way a person might say laying down my life. You're familiar with this passage from the Gospel of John? Greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. I didn't choose to say it that way, Henry said. Lay down a bunt. Everybody says that. You're always choosing, Dr. Rachels answered with a hint of snap in her voice. But who is Mike Schwartz? Why do you need to lay down your life for him? I don't. She clapped her hands together. Precisely. So why did you? That was as magical as I thought it would be. I've always had a soft spot for bunting, uh, if only because my last couple of years in Little League, it was basically the only productive thing I could do at the plate. Um, does the observation in the first passage you read come from your own experiences playing or, or more from uh, being a spectator? Yeah, you, the, uh, you mean the, the, the long line of high fives, like the sort of congrat, the like kind of the rallying around the person who has laid down a successful butt. Yeah, both. Um, I, um, you know, I certainly, it was that way. Um, that was part of the culture. Like when I was growing up in little, in little league in high school, um, you know, and I think you still, I think you will see it watching a major league game on TV, you know, like if the, if the, you know, of course there's not, a whole lot of bunting anymore in the game but if um and if they uh do away with um pitchers batting in the nl then you may never see a bunt uh again for the rest of your life and you will have to we'll have to explain to future generations what it even was but um yeah but if, if a pitcher goes up there and lays down a bunt like he he goes back to the dugout even at the major league level and gets um and gets congrats from everybody um yeah and it's just one of those uh, little sort of, you know, little blips of the culture um, that I've always just really appreciated. It just, um, uh, it, um, yeah, it's quite beautiful in its way, right? You, because um, you, you, you go up there, you want to get on base. <laughs> um, and so, and so everyone, like, it's, of course, it's called a sacrifice bunt, but like everyone really knows that there is in a way like this element of, of sacrifice in it, because you are not going to get on base. Um, you're not going to do the thing that you're, that you're like heroically designed to do. Um, and you're going to help the team by doing this. And then um, you are going to uh, receive some extra recompense, not only in like knowing that you did the right thing, but everyone's going to kind of like pat you on the back and slap you on the head and, and let you know that you did the right thing. <laughs> um, 
so as, as you said, yeah, baseball uh, bunting is is falling out of favor. Um, over the last 20 years uh, in Major League Baseball, it fell by 35 percent. Um, and there was precisely one attempted sacrifice bunt in the most recent World Series. It ended in a pop foul. At the same time, uh, home run celebrations have only gotten uh, gaudier. So does, does either of those trends um, affect your enjoyment of the game? Will you be sad if um, bunting is no longer a part of the major league game? Yeah, I will be. I will be sad. Um, you know, it's one of these things. It it's not um, like there's. You know, there certainly are still uses for the butt, right? When you you get into you get into the playoffs, and I mean, it's it's it becomes kind of self reinforcing because it's not um, like for any player coming up it's not a good use of your time to practice bunting a lot. Um, like that is not a skill that is going to get you a salary. <laughs> um, and yet there is a moment like part, you know, part of the, part of the reason there was only one bunt in the world series is because it's not all, you know, we, we know like uh, statistically it's not always advantageous to bunt. Um, but of course there are like in these in kind of close playoff games, like, there are times when you would love the batter to put down a bunt. The problem is that you know that the batter you're sending, if you're the manager, you know that the batter you're sending up there sucks at bunting. <laughs> um, right. So it kind of like, and so therefore, like, even if, even if it actually would be strategically correct to bunt, like, yeah, you can't do it because the guy going up there, like, isn't good enough at it. Um, so I mean, so I, you know, I, I fully understand why it's happening, you know, but I do think, um, uh, you know, bunting, base running, there are really, you know, refined and artistic uh, elements of the game that are, you know, and, and yeah, and like one can talk about these things and just seem like an old fuddy-duddy, but like, I think there really are, um, there really are these elements of the game that players don't learn and it's not just learning it like you have to like you have to like practice these things like an extraordinary amount to get really good at them and players aren't doing that anymore and yeah and that does like um and those are um some of my favorite aspects of the game you know and the and the, the things that like add intricacy to every play um uh bunting excellent base running um and you know and and certain defensive things that um kind of diminish in importance when the game is um you know reduced to a kind of binary system of home runs and strikeouts um which i think is, is ultimately the problem um because you know the ball getting the ball zipping around the field and getting put into play. Like that's what's, that's, what's fun and exciting about baseball. Um, and, um, and the ball just like sailing into the catcher's mitt or, or the fence, like is less exciting. So, you know, I mean, I'm not really, I'm not concerned about home run. Uh, I'm, I don't, I'm not bothered by home run celebrations, but I'm just bothered by like how many home run celebrations there are. <laughs> um, I'd rather, you know, it's more fun to see like single celebrations and double celebrations and triple celebrations. 
Um, okay, so as to the second passage, I love the conversation with Dr. Rachel's uh, because it's such bullshit in, in the etymology, um, but also she's spot on in the way uh, a canny therapist often is. So the way men love to sacrifice for each other um, is a constant theme in the book. As you said, these two passages sort of bracket um, the book. Was there something or someone uh, in your life you were thinking of when you wrote about these relationships, especially between Henry and Mike? I mean, in a way, I'm thinking of um, I just, you know, all of the, you know, kind of f- important friendships that I, you know, have um, had throughout my life. Um, you know, there are um, there are a couple uh, friends of mine who kind of entered into the character of Mike, um, you know, one of whom, uh, one of whom is a, a friend of mine who um, played, actually played a lot of minor league baseball as a catcher. Um, and in, um, you know, and especially in some of the, like the specific like baseball stuff in the book. And, um, you know, I, I spent a lot of time putting, putting him into the character of Mike, you know, also my, my, best friend from college, Keith Gesson, who um, was such a mentor to me, um, even though we're like, you know, even though he's like 11 months older than me or something, but, um, you know, because I was just such a naive um, backwards kid from kind of, kind of nowhere in um, uh, like relative to, you know, like, um, going to like a fancy college, like, and I'd, I'd never had, had zero like experience of these things and was very young and, um, you know, and then, and then graduated from college, still had no idea what I was doing with my life. And, um, you know, so like my, my friendship with Keith was like, um, so important to me. Um, yeah. And yeah, so that, um, that relationship certainly, um, was one of the kind of emotional underpinnings of the relationship between Henry and Mike and yeah, the kind of, um, you know, incredible gratitude that Henry feels toward Mike for um, how much help he feels that he's like, that he's received um, from him. Along those lines of Mike and trying to look out for Henry in the best way he can, um, you know, he doesn't encourage Henry to see a therapist. And in the last 10 years, mental health has become a pretty big topic for athletes, whether it be Michael Phelps or Simone Biles. If you were to write the book today, 10 years later, where now mental health, people talk, people brag about the therapist that they see. What would, you know, how would Mike give Henry advice today? Well, yeah, it's a fascinating, it's a fascinating question. Um, Yeah, I mean, obviously, you're totally right that there is a different kind of conversation happening around these things. Um, I mean, in, in some ways, I don't know that the book, I mean, the, the book would 
would gesture toward that larger conversation. In some ways, like the situation on the ground might be pretty similar. Um, you know, because I mean, you are like as much as this is a part of the broader conversation, like if you're like a sort of dude from the Midwest, um, it's not necessarily entirely a part of the conversation or like there still might be, there still be a lot of discomfort about these things. I mean, there's also the fact that, I mean, I think, you know, part of the, you know, there, cause there's right. There's a moment, I think there's a moment um, maybe midway through the book where Pella suggests that Henry should like see it, should see a therapist. Um, and Mike is, and, and, you know, I think part of the reason Mike resists is because he's like, no, I've got this right. Um, I'm not going to like hand Henry over to somebody else. Like uh, if like, if somebody's going to like straighten this out for Henry, like I'm going to do it. And, and that is, um, uh, and that could, you know, and that could still be, that could still be the case today. Um, you know, but I do, but I think it is, it's a fascinating question. Um, and yet like, you know, so I mean, maybe Henry, maybe Henry would see a therapist. Um, earlier on in the book, right? You know, maybe he would, maybe that would, maybe that would be a more natural step to pursue rather than the kind of like resistance that we find in the book. But, you know, seeing a therapist isn't, isn't going to help anything, right? <laughs> um, that's not going to like, um, that's not going to cause Henry's like existential crisis to, um, to suddenly abate um, because he, because he goes into the, into the therapist's office um, you know, therapy is a wonderful thing, but also, um, you know, far from a panacea and even farther from like a fast acting panacea. Um, and yeah, and I have, I mean, it's funny, like even when, um, when The Art of Fielding came out, um, you know, I did an event um, with a former major league pitcher who um, had gone into psychology and was at the time um I'm not sure where he is he's working he was working in the red sox organization as a sort of like sports psychologist um you know and that i think there um i mean obviously that's a field that has expanded over time but even like even 20 15 10 years ago um uh you know this was this was a well-known phenomenon, right? That like players go through these kinds of crises and you try to find ways to help them. But a lot of players, um, a lot of players, you know, I think that like the thing that happens to Henry in the book of like just a crisis of confidence that, um, you know, where you just Steve Blast disease or, or something comparable that um, just kind of you're plenty talented, but you're just like out the door because you kind of lose it mentally. I mean, it's like, there are of course all sorts of examples of this on the major league level, but on like slightly on the minor league level, um, on the college level, like this happens just every day, you know, um, and has happened every day for a long time. And it's, um, it's, uh, and maybe it happens, maybe it happens more and more. <laughs> um, but, um, it's, it's kind of a perpetual problem. And I don't know that anyone, like it's uh it's hard to get you know it's, it's people you if people recover but it's um it's really hard you know <laughs>
Last question. It's been 10 years since the book came out. How do you reflect now on what it achieved, what it's meant to people, um, what it's meant to you? Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm mostly focused on my next book, which is um, just about finished. Um, and I think probably will be out not this year, but in 2023 will probably will be published. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm eager to, uh, to have that come out and be on to the, be on to the next thing. Um, you know, but I just, I, um, I mean, it's, but it's just been a, it's just been a marvelous experience with the art of fielding, um, you know, just meeting and hearing from so many of the people who have really loved it and had their lives touched by it. And, you know, people writing me letters cause they like name their daughter Pella because they <laughs> like, cause they read the, cause they like just read the book and liked the name so much. And, um, it's just had wine, wine colored hair when she was born. Yeah. Well, or they, yeah, they get you, or you have to dye it as soon, right. as soon thereafter. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just been, it's just been kind of magical. And, you know, and, and I think the, the book, um, holds up and people are still reading it and enjoying it. And it just, um, I just feel immensely grateful for the whole experience. Well, we cannot wait uh, to read the next novel. Um, and for folks listening, if you haven't yet read The Art of Fielding, go pick up a copy today. Chad, uh, thank you so much for coming on. It's It's been the great pleasure talking to you. Um, you are skilled. I <laughs> Thank you guys. Thank you so much for having me. And thanks to you, our listeners, for tuning in to the Mudville Nine. Let us know what you thought by emailing Nathaniel with an E at themudville9.com. And please check out our website where you can find show notes and more at themudville9.com. That's themudville9, all letters.com. Adios, Nate Dog. Till next time, Elliot. <laughs>